And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's February 9th, 40th day of the year. 325 days remain till the year's over with. And then we get to do it again. It's National Pizza Day. Chocolate Day. National Read in the Bathtub Day. National Toothache Day. National Apprenticeship Day. International Networking Week. Congenital Heart Defect Awareness Week. Feeding Tube Awareness Week. National School Counseling Week. Pride in Food Service Week. Boy Scouts Anniversary Week, Burn Awareness Week, Carnival of Brazil Week, Children's Mental Health Week, and Korean New Year. Uh, birth dates, Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, Mia Farrow, Joe Pesci, and William Henry Harrison, one of my collateral ancestors. Snatch to Black History Month, Canned Food Month. National Snack Food Month, National Children's Dental Health Month, Harley Quinn Month, National Embroidery Month, National Grapefruit Month, National Women's Inventors Month, Great American Pie Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month, American Heart Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Family Fun Month, National Bird Feeding Month, National Heart Breakfast Month, National Library Lovers Month, Low Vision Awareness Month, National Fasting February, and North American Inclusion Month. Well, 474, Zeno is co-emperor of the Byzantine Empire. 1003, the III is restored to authority with armed support from Boleslaw I, the Brave of Poland. 1098, the First Crusade army led by Bohemond of Toronto wins a major battle against the Seljuk Emir Ridwan of Aleppo during the Siege of Antioch. 1539, first recorded race is held on Chester Racecourse, known as the Rudy. 1555, Bishop of Gloucester John Hooper is burned at the stake. 1621, Gregory XV becomes Pope, the last Pope elected by acclamation. It's interesting that humans have to vote on who is the spokesperson of God. I find that fascinating. Sixteen fifty four, capture Fort Roker takes place during the Anglo Spanish War. 1775, American Revolutionary War. British Parliament formally declares Massachusetts to be in rebellion. 1778, Rhode Island becomes the fourth U.S. state to ratify the Articles of Confederation. 1788, the Habsburg Empire joins the Russo-Turkish War in the Russian camp. 1822, Haiti attacks the newly established Dominican Republic on the other side of the island of Hispaniola. 
1825, after no candidate gets a majority of electoral votes in the U.S. presidential election of 1824, the House of Representatives elects John Quincy Adams as the sixth president of the U.S. in a contingent election. 1849, the new Roman Republic is declared. 1861, American Civil War. Jefferson Davis is elected the Provisional President of the Confederate States of America by the Provisional Confederate Congress at Montgomery, Alabama. 1870, President Ulysses S. Grant signs a joint resolution of Congress establishing the U.S. Weather Bureau. Before that, if you wanted to know if it was raining or not, you stuck your hand out the window. 1889, President Grover Cleveland signs a bill elevating the United States Department of Agriculture to a cabinet-level agency. 1893, Verdi's last opera, Falstaff, premieres at the La Scala in Milan. 1895, William G. Morgan creates a game, a game called Mentonit, which soon becomes referred to as Volleyball. 1900, a Davis Cup competition is established. For those who are not familiar with the Davis Cup, it's the premier international team event in men's tennis. It's... Uh, Contested annually between teams from over 150 competing countries, making it the world's largest annual team sporting competition. 1904, Russo-Japanese War, Battle of Port Arthur concludes. 1907, the Mud March is the first large procession organized by the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies. The... uh, the official name was the United Procession of Women. Peaceful demonstration in London, February 9, 1907. 3,000 women marched from Hyde Park uh, Corner to the Strand in support of women's suffrage. Women from all classes participated in what uh, was the largest public demonstration supporting women's suffrage seen up to that point in time. Because of the day's weather, the heavy rain left the marchers drenched and mud splattered. It became known as the Mud March. 1913, a group of meteors is visible across much of the eastern seaboard of the Americas, leading astronomers to conclude the source had been a small, short-lived natural satellite of the Earth. 1920, under the terms of the Svalbard Treaty, international diplomacy recognizes Norwegian sovereignty over Arctic archipelago Svalbard and designates it as demilitarized. 1922, Brazil becomes a member of the Berne Convention Copyright Treaty. 1929, members of the Vietnam uh, Quoc Dinh Dang assassinate the labor recruiter Bazin, prompting a crackdown by French colonial authorities. 1932, prohibition laws abolished in Finland after a national referendum. 70% voted for a repeal of the law. 1934, the Balkan Entente is formed between Greece, Romania, Yugoslavia, and Turkey. 1941, World War II, bombing of Genoa. Cathedral of San Lorenzo in Genoa, Italy is struck by a bomb which fails to detonate. 1942, year-round daylight savings time, also known as wartime, is reinstated in the U.S. as a wartime measure to help conserve uh, energy resources. Whoever came up with that brilliant idea should have been taken out and lynched. My humble opinion. 1943, World War II, Pacific War. 
Allied authorities declared Guadalcanal secure after Imperial Japanese uh, forces were evacuated uh, from the island, ending uh, the Battle of Guadalcanal. 1945, World War II, Battle of the Atlantic. HMS Venturer sinks U-864 off the coast of Fedja, Norway, in a rare instance of submarine-to-submarine combat. Also in 1945, World War II, a force of Allied aircraft unsuccessfully attack a German destroyer in Fordehorden, Norway. 1950, Second Red Scare. Senator Joseph McCarthy accuses the U.S. Department of State of being filled with communists, and he was probably right. 1951, Korean War. Two-day uh, Geo Chang massacre begins as a battalion of the 11th Division of the South Korean Army kills 719 unarmed citizens in Geo Chang in the South Gyeongsang district of South Korea. 1959, the R-7 Semyorka, the first intercontinental ballistic missile, becomes operational at uh, Klesix in Russia, or as the USSR, as it was known at that time. 1961, the Beatles at the Cavern Club. Lunchtime, the Beatles perform under the name of the Cavern Club for the first time following their return to Liverpool from Hamburg. 1964, the Beatles make their first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, performing before a record-setting audience of 73 million viewers across the U.S. 1965, Vietnam War. U.S. Marine Corps sends an MIM-23 Hawk Missile Battalion to South Vietnam. First American troops in country out an official advisory or training mission. 1971, a 6.5 to 6.7 Slimar earthquake hits the greater Los Angeles area with a uh, maximum Michaeli intensity of 11. It's considered extreme. Killed 64 and injured 2,000. 1971, Satchel Page becomes the first Negro League player to be voted into the USA's Baseball Hall of Fame. 1971, Apollo program. Apollo 14 returns to Earth after the third human moon landing. 1975, the Soyuz 17 Soviet spacecraft returns to Earth. 1976, Aeroflot Flight 3739, a Tupelo of TU-104, crashes during takeoff from Irkutsk Airport, killed 24. Some of these names. Hmm. 1978, the Bud Company unveils its first SPV-2000 self-propelled uh, rail car in Philadelphia. 1982, Japan Airlines Flight 350 crashes near Haneda Airport in an, attempt to, an attempted pilot mass murder-suicide killed 24 of the 174 on board. 1986, Halley's Comet last appeared in the inner solar system on this date. 1991, dissolution of the Soviet Union. Voters in Lithuania vote for independence from the Soviet Union. And nobody got shot. 1996, the Provisional Irish Republican Army declares the end of its 18-month ceasefire and explodes a large bomb in London's uh, Canary Wharf, killing two people. 1996, Carpenisium is discovered by Sigurd Hoffman, Victor Ninov, and others. 2001, the 
Ami Maru and USS Greenville collision takes place, killed nine of the 35 people on board the Japanese fishery high school training ship, Ami Maru, leaving USS Greenville with $2 million in, in repairs at Pearl Harbor. 2016, two passenger trains collide in the German town of Bad uh, Ebling in the state of Savaria. Excuse me, I can't read. Bavaria. Can't read my handwriting. Twelve people die and 85 others are injured. 2018, Winter Olympics. Opening ceremonies performed in uh, Pyeongchang County in South Korea. 2020, Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele has the Army soldiers enter the Legislative Assembly to assist in pushing for the approval of a better government security plan. Causes a bleep uh, political crisis. 2021, the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump begins on this date. They were determined they were going to convict him of something. They didn't care what it was. Um, unfortunately for them, it um, didn't quite work out the way they thought it would. The... Uh, Now, Lincoln's birthday is February 12th. Now, interestingly enough, born in Harbin, Hardin County, Kentucky, his parents are born in Virginia. Um, let's see, there we go. He was a lawyer, a politician, and a statesman. He served as the 16th president of the United States until he was assassinated in 1865. Led the United States through the American Civil War. He was born into poverty in a log cabin in Kentucky. Raised on the frontier, primarily in Indiana. Self-educated. Became a lawyer, which shows you how much education you need to be a lawyer. Um... He was the Whig Party leader in the Illinois State Legislature and U.S. Congressman from Illinois. Now, interestingly enough, he was also a national-level wrestler. Won uh, several hundred wrestling matches. The um, And he managed his own successful re-election campaign. He was, um, his wife talked him into going to see uh, the play at Ford's Theater to help him relax from the stress of war. Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, by all accounts, was not totally well-wrapped. Um, he was shot by uh, John Wilkes Booth. He was remembered as a martyr and a national hero for his wartime service and for his efforts to preserve the union of all slavery. Now, interestingly enough, the Emancipation Proclamation freed no slaves because the areas that it was directed at were not part of the union at the time. Slavery was actually ended by an um, amendment to the Constitution. In spite of the posturing and carrying on by the left, 
Civil War was not by uh, was not totally about slavery. It was actually about the fact the South felt the North was uh, not giving it its fair share. Alrighty, we have been um, talking about uh, some of the world's scariest places. We got a few more to talk about, and then we're going to talk about some. Um, well, let's call them mysteries of the world. <coughs> you know, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, odd places. Let's go to Ho Tui Tien, Vietnam, an area known as the dragon's lair. Now, nobody, it said, comes to this place by accident. It's an abandoned water park outside the city of Hue in central Vietnam. It's not in any guidebook. It's not on any map. And for a long time, it was a well-kept secret among backpackers in Southeast Asia. They sure directions, scrawled on napkins or by word of mouth. And even if you knew how to get there, the roads are rough and few rokers will correct your route if you're going the wrong way. So if you get lost, you're screwed. Now, the history of Ho Tui Thin, uh, the name means Daffodil Lake, is something of a mystery as well. It was opened in 2004 at a cost of 3 million U.S. dollars. Struggle financially until it was abandoned to the jungle a few years later. And now the site's centerpiece, which is an enormous dragon, um, sits on top of a smoldering aquarium that rises from the lake. Foliage has overtaken the algae-covered water slides uh, under which crocodiles were left behind in cages. Only reason they survived is because the locals fed them chickens. Now, as a destination for urban explorers, uh, this abandoned water park uh, is allegedly more popular now than it was when it was open. You can explore empty passageways and climb into the Dragon's Maw to gaze out over the lake through graffiti-covered fangs. One uh, traveler was interviewed by the Huffington Post. He said, my adrenaline was flowing the whole time. And the Huffington Post helped put the site on the map, sort of, in the 2016 story. When all is said and done, a visit to Ho Tui Thin can feel sad as well as scary. Although the crocodiles were reportedly saved by animal activists who moved into a wildlife park in northern Vietnam. But something that this much time, effort, and money was put into to just be abandoned is sad. And another thing that's been abandoned in this country is the historic Route 66. From Glenroe, Texas, into New Mexico. Now, for 60 years, Route 66, the 
two-lane highway that cut across the country from Chicago to Los Angeles was the path of westward promise for such travelers as on-the-road author uh, Jack Kerouac and Okies fleeing the Dust Bowl in the 1930s. But when increased automobile traffic led to the creation of Interstate 40 decades later, the, the towns that had flourished along Route 66 uh, fell into decline. Among them, Glenrow, which would straddle the Texas and Mexico border for almost 80 years. Now, the town had its beginnings in 1905, when farmers began settling in the area's high plains. A year later, the Chicago, Rock Island, and Gulf Well Lake Line established a local whistle stop that uh, led to the building of a post office, a hotel, grocery stores, a gas station, and cafes. With the creation of Route 66 in 1926, a tourist welcome center was opened, offering water for overheated radiators even as the town itself became a, an oasis for tired travelers. Seventeen of Glenrow's old buildings still stand today, including the State Line Bar, Art Modern-style Texaco filling station, the Little Juarez Cafe, and the first so-called uh, first-slash-last motel, uh, motel. And if you wander down Glenrose's dusty main street, you'll find the remains of Route 66, still following the tracks of the forgotten railroad that filled this once thriving western outpost. And if you've ever wandered the back roads, you will find all kinds of mysteries. Places that have fallen to ruin that once were quite prominent. Well, let's talk about a mysterious subterranean city underneath Seattle, Washington. Just after 2.15 on June 6th, 1889, cabinet maker in a Seattle woodworking shop was heating glue on a gasoline fire when it spilled, ignited the turpen turpentine-soaked wood chips that covered the floor. Well, the ensuing fire raged for more than 12 hours, leveled the city's wooden buildings. In the aftermath of the, the inferno, residents rebuilt wood brick this time on top of the ruins. The streets of the new settlement were regraded two stories above the original, and the subterranean space became known as the Seattle Underground. Now, for a while, people continued using the old ground floors, which were now basements lit by skylights, Bathhouses where lumberjacks and prospectors could clean up are typical underground businesses, according to Dietrich Sachs' uh, Guide for Beneath the Streets, which conducts tours of that area. Outcast Chinese immigrants frequented underground gambling parlors, opium dens, and whorehouses, all of which were also common above ground. In fact, not lost on an entrepreneurial German immigrant named Friedrich Trump, grandfather Donald Trump, who leased a restaurant that was also a brothel. 1907, the threat of bubonic plague led officials to condemn the area, and over time, the existence of the Seattle Underground became nothing more than a legend. Until 1954, when Bill Spadell rediscovered the area while researching the city's past, and he began conducting underground tours. Unfortunately, the history of the, this fabled space will always remain incomplete. He said, we know there's a whole lot more to the story, but sometimes the world just moves too fast. Well, El Paso has an underground. 900 miles of tunnels. And very few people know anything about them. 
I was very fortunate. Uh, and and every explorer gave me a, quite an education. Well, let's go to Centralia, Pennsylvania. Known as the Burning Mine. Well, at the time, it seemed like a good idea. Just before Memorial Day in 1962, firefighters in a coal mining town of Centralia, Pennsylvania, set fire to a landfill without knowing it rested on top of an old strip mining pit. Left to burn, the fire spread into abandoned underground mines and eventually beneath the town itself. And according to uh, David Decock, author of Fire Underground, been a monumental series of blunders and inadequate attention over the years. It got to the size of underground where it's basically destroyed the town of Centralia and everybody had to move. Well, by 1983, fissures in the ground were belching out lethal levels of carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide, spurring a relocation program that eventually left the town a maze of cracked streets and bouldering earth, abandoned houses, and the inspiration for the video game Silent Hill. Signs now warn curious visitors of danger from asphyxiation and sinkholes, but that didn't keep a handful of residents from remaining. In 2022, Centralia had a population of 14. Nobody expects the fire to end anytime soon. Experts say the fire will eventually go out when the fuel runs out in about another 250 years. I'm sure the uh, individual who said, well, just burn this stuff, regretted it. Well, let's go to Hashima Island in Japan uh, for our next story. The Forgotten Fortress, known as Midori Nashishima, the island without green. It's a 16-acre landmass off Japan's Nagasaki coast. Now it's an abandoned ruin, but it was for a time the most densely populated area in the world thanks to the discovery of subterranean coal beds in 1810. Mitsubishi Corporation turned it into a mining operation and built a network of concrete structures that housed up to uh, 5,250 workers. Gave the site a forbidding fortress-like appearance, led to another nickname, Gunkajima, or Battleship Island. By 1941, Hashima was producing 400,000 tons of coal a year. But when the fuel ran out in 1974, the island was abandoned to the typhoons of the surrounding sea. 2009, after some of its structures were reinforced, Hashima opened as a tourist destination. Six years later, it became a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Controversial designation since so many of the miners on the island had been career laborers forced to work under Japan's uh, colonial rule. And during World War II, they were joined by captive Chinese. When expert tells CNN, if you can believe what CNN says, common stories I heard was that were enormously hungry. The meals were miserable, and when they couldn't go to work, they were tortured, punched, and kicked. More common deprivations uh, prevailed as well. There were no bushes, no flowers. Didn't even know what the cherry blossom was, according to one former resident. We told the seasons from one another by listening to the wind or looking at the color of the ocean in the sky. Over time, of course, nature had its way. Forlorn ruins of the island without green are now overrun with vegetation. Much of which is green. Well, one final note. If you go to London, 
and I recommend it. I enjoyed my time there. Not everyone or everything rests in peace in London's Highgate Cemetery. Opened up in 1839, once the city's most fashionable burial ground, pillaged by vandals in the 1970s, and supposedly became home to Satanists. The spectral woman in white and the predatory king vampire of the undead. You don't know what you're going to find. Well, there's a lot of mysteries in this world. We're going to talk about a few more of them. <coughs> and then shortly I'm going to start a new segment. A lot of our listeners are veterans. And navigating the world of veteran affairs can be baffling. And uh, I wrote a book some time back. Got me in all the hot water with the VA. It's called The Veteran's Practical Primer. You can find it on uh, Amazon. I write under the name of Ken Hudnall, K-E-N-H-U-D-N-A-L-L. And there are e-books, there are hard copy books. You can also go to my website, kenhudnall.com. Well, going back to mysteries, let's call it a Bible for our first one. And... Uh, for a lot of this information, I'm indebted to Nick Redfern, who wrote a fascinating book about uh, mysteries. And, you know, it was once said, the more you know, the more you know how little you know. And unfortunately, our elected officials don't understand that. They think becoming elected makes you a genius. Now, according to biblical history, the longest-lived person ever was Methuselah, who died at the age of 969. And what do you get somebody for a birthday present who's lived over 900 years? Well, Adam, the first man, lived to the age of 930. And with rare exception, it's said that most of the people in the 10 generations following the creation of Adam lived an average of about 900 years. In theory, I have been told by uh, medical people, the human body, before it just simply wears out, should be capable of going about 900 years. It was only after the Great Flood at the time of Noah that there was a change in the what was called the natural order of the world. People began living shorter and shorter lives. The generations after Noah, the average lifespan was about 200. Moses uh, lived only 120 years, and King David just lived 70. <coughs> now, whether you believe the, the biblical accounts, it's clear that in more modern times, so to speak, Say the last millennia or two, the average lifespan has ranged between 30 to 70 years. And even today, with all our advancements in medical uh, science, in preventing and curing uh, so many previously fatal illnesses, people in countries with the greatest lifespan still don't average more than 80 to 85 years. 
The average in the U.S. is about 79. So it's amazing to hear about Li Ching Yun, who claimed to be born in 1677 and died in 1933. Lived a total of 256 years. Now, he spent much of his life as a herbalist, uh, living off vegetation known to support health and longevity, such as ginseng and goji berries and other Chinese herbs. He lived his life in China. Though he did travel to Vietnam, Thailand, and Tibet, he was a teacher of martial arts who uh, actually served as a tactical advisor for one of the Chinese provincial armies. And he had, according to all the records, 24 wives and over 200 descendants. But he had an interesting family reunion. Well, now, at this point, you have to ask, is this a myth, or, or are there any records that prove his longevity? Well, if you can believe the New York Times, which is these days iffy, they printed a story in 1930. Lu Chung-Chi, a professor at the Chengdu University in the Sichuan province of China, discovered imperial Chinese government records from 1827 congratulating Li Ching-Yon on his 150th birthday. Other documents were reported to have been discovered congratulating him on his 200th birthday in 1877. And there are actually birth records in Qingjiangshan, Sichuan province, which stayed his birth year is 1677. Now, according to one of Li's uh, disciples, Master Dan Lu, Li met a hermit in the mountains of China who was over 500 years old who taught him the ancient Chinese practice of Qigong, which involves uh, specific exercises coordinated with breathing techniques and also gave him a very specific dietary instructions. Claimed that Lee practiced these exercises and rituals faithfully for 120 years, and this is one of the secrets of his extraordinarily long life. According to this New York Times article, um, his own advice for a long and healthy life was keep a quiet heart, sit like a tortoise, walk sprightly like a pigeon, and sleep like a dog. Gerontologists, medical scientists who uh, specialize in the study of old age, consider claims of his uh, long life to be myth, in spite of the records. Statistics show that claims by anybody to be over 120 years old have been shown to be almost 100% false. Modern times, the longest verified human lifespan in recorded history is that of Jean-Louise Calment, uh, passed away in her native France in 1997 at the age of 122. Skeptics insist any documentation or personal reminiscences supporting uh, Li Ching Yan's claims to be extraordinarily to extraordinary longevity, even if they're genuine, most likely due to him having assumed the identity of a much older ancestor or somebody with a similar name. But you also have to say, what if? Well, let's turn from the oldest man in the world to. Uh, the dinosaurs and humans overlap. Well, scientists who believe in the evolutionary theory claim dinosaurs died out about 65 million years ago. And that man didn't make his first appearance on Earth until about 5 million years ago. During that 60 million year gap, a lot of changes took place on Earth. 
Glaciers were shifting, oceans were moving, and many species of life were both appearing and disappearing. And buried in various layers of rock were fossilized remains and footprints of some of those creatures. <coughs> Excuse me. Creationists, on the other hand, believed the Earth's about six to 10,000 years old, and all living things were created by God during the six days of creation. According to the most popular creationist theory, dinosaurs are put on the Earth on day five. God created the great sea monsters, Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. And man was created on the sixth day. And according to this theory, man and dinosaurs existed together during the same time period. Now, some archaeologists, as well as creationists, claim there is evidence that dinosaurs and humans were contemporary. 1970 cave paintings made by Bushmen who inhabited an area in Zimbabwe from about 1500 B.C. until the 18th century uh, were discovered to depict accurate representations of elephants, giraffes, as well as a brontosaurus. It's a huge dinosaur that uh, weighs up to 15 tons and measures about 72 feet long. Now, these artworks have greatly puzzled evolutionary scientists since Bushmen are known to have painted from real life. These scientists uh, generally claim the brontosaurus lived during the Jurassic Age, 150 to 200 million years ago. But again, what if? About 1950, Dr. Samuel Hubbard, curator of archaeology in the Oakland, California Museum, discovered dinosaur carvings on the cliff walls of the Havasupai Canyon in Arizona. One of those carvings resembles a Tyrannosaurus. And in nearby fossilized rock, dinosaur tracks are preserved. Well, those who believe that man existed alongside these mammoth creatures also point to another inconspicuous location right in their own backyard if you live on, in America. In the Paloxy River Basin in North Texas, 45 miles southwest of Fort Worth, explorers discovered dinosaur tracks in 1908 after a flood broke uh, away a layer of rock that had hidden them. And most will carry to the footprints of huge animals, but there were other impressions in the ground that bore a resemblance to human footprints in that same rock layer, indicated they occurred during the same period of ancient history. Now, these human footprints are quite large, indicating they might have been giants in size. Most famous of the dinosaur track discoveries was the footprints of a herd of sauropods, huge lizard-like dinosaurs, in uh, 1938, a paleontologist named Roland Byrd of the American Museum of Natural History in New York City found dozens more dinosaur tracks. But he believed that the tracks were 100 million years old and had been created at a time when the Paloxy River area was the shoreline of a great lagoon. And since the area would have been muddy and marshy, a dinosaur could have made a deep and lasting impression in the ground. Well, Clifford Burdick, a geologist who was also a firm believer in creationist theory, read Bird's account and decided he'd discovered what he was looking for. Human footprints that had stood alongside dinosaur tracks that would have been made a, just 4,800 years ago, at the time of Noah's flood. According to him, uh, the flood is what made the ground marshy. 32 years since Burdick published his first article, but his work is still referred to in creationist text, and his original photographs are used as evidence of, for claims of human footprints in the Paloxy. 
But were the footprints found near the dinosaur tracks actually human footprints? Carl Bogg, a Baptist minister from St. Louis who made Bird's discovery one of his life's missions. Working with a bulldozer and air hammer and crews of volunteers, claims to have uncovered 98 dinosaur tracks and 29 human tracks in addition to other prints. He said this evidence is devastating to evolution. We know the Lord would like this exposed as quickly as possible. Well, skeptics, of course, quick to deny his claims. Several paleontologists uh, who uh, study fossils and who have uh, viewed the tracks claim to bear little resemblance to human tracks. Most of the results of exposure to the environment are erosion. And some even look like being altered to look like human tracks. The contours, including where the arch of the foot would generally be, are wrong. They lack toe prints, and as a local tourist guide commented regarding their authenticity, you just kind of have to use your imagination. Even Dr. John Morris, a paleontologist who believes in the biblical story creation, concluded that most likely we made an error in assuming that there were human tracks interspersed among dinosaur tracks. But this hadn't diminished his or another creationist belief in the theory, really that proof couldn't be found in the Paloxy Basin, though there are still those who believe the Proof of the coexistence of man and dinosaurs exists uh, among those tracks. And just as there have been famous evolutionary theory hoaxes claiming to provide evidence of the missing link from ape to man, skeptics are convinced that the Paloxa River Basin footprints are more wishful thinking than actual fact. And certainly if you oppose a, uh, an accepted fact, as I discovered myself, you're immediately attacked. You can't be right. If you are right, then hordes of experts are wrong, and that can't be. Well, when I was in the military, and we'd go out on our little jaunts in the jungle, there were certain areas we were told to avoid. And being the curious sort, I always said, why? Well, people don't come back from there. I'd ask for evidence. Nobody had it. But let's go to a place where there is evidence. It's called the Island of No Return. It, even its name um, is a warning. Evadenet, which means no return in the local... Uh, Obolo tribes are aboriginal language. And it's located in Kenya, in Lake Turkana, also known as Lake Rudolph. It's about swifty, about 50 square kilometers in size, but thought of visiting this volcanic island strikes fair in the heart of most folks, and for very good reason. Once inhabited by local indigenous tribes who hunted and trapped and fished and traded with their relatives on the mainland, <coughs> These indigenous tribes just broke off communication, stopped coming to visit their relatives. So folks on the mainland, curious as to why they had, uh, the folks on the island no longer communicated with them, sent a search party to the island. And when the search party landed on the island, they were totally baffled. Wasn't a soul in sight. All the huts and villages were empty. Fish were rotting near now extinguished fires. Not a single sign of what happened to the several hundred people who lived there. 
Well, the search party left quickly, not wanting to test their luck. More recently, in 1935, British explorer Vivian Fuchs sent two colleagues, Martin Severis and Bill Dyson, to explore the island. And being very much aware of the mysterious history and potentially perilous nature of the island, the scientists lit lamps every night to signal to Fuchs on the mainland that everything was fine. Suddenly, after the fifth night, the lamps were not lit. Well, to determine what happened, a rescue team was sent to the island. And to their amazement, they couldn't find any trace of the two scientists. A plane was sent to do an aerial reconnaissance. No trace of the men was ever found. Local tribesmen, tempted with huge rewards they could find the missing men, traveled to the island and literally left no stone unturned in their search, but still no evidence of the men's stay on the island could be found. Well, legend has it that the mysterious and terrible nature of the island goes back to about 1630 when natives settled there because of the fertile uh, nature of the land. But there were several curious facts about the island that were immediately uh, obvious. No birds or animals seemed to inhabit it. Only unusual vegetation of a bright emerald shade grew there, and there was a strange polished stones on the island that seemed to appear and disappear. And each new moon, the inhabitants would hear chilling screams that would change to a lingering groan lasting for several minutes up to an hour. Some parts of the island became inaccessible to travelers because branches of trees became intertwined and hardened like stone. Worst of all was the frightening images of human creatures that would appear at night. Many mysterious deaths. People developed blood poisoning from the slightest scratch or food poisoning from freshly caught fish. Excellent swimmers drowned in the waters of the lake. Absolutely no logic to all this. There's a huge crater in the center of the island. Some say anyone who uh, descends into that crater be struck by lightning. Others claim they'll be abducted by aliens or other mysterious creatures. Today, the island's inhabited by crocodiles and a lot of poisonous snakes. They're wild goats, not inhabited huts. Nobody seems eager to revisit what they consider to be a cursed island. At the end of the 20th century, two more expeditions went to this bewitched island, one from Germany, one from Holland. Both expeditions vanished without a trace. Well, from the island of no return, let's talk about uh, some of the mysteries relating to uh, King Tut, Tank Amun. The most famous pharaoh of ancient Egypt. Also nicknamed King Tut. As perhaps the most well-known ancient burial site of the pharaohs of Egypt. Located in the Valley of the Kings on the west bank of the Nile. Opposite the ancient city of Thebes. Which is the modern Luxor. Valley of the Kings contains burial places of nobles, their wives and children as well. Now, very few people know what the official name of the Valley of the Kings is. It's the great and majestic necropolis of the millions of years of the pharaoh, life, strength, health in the west of Thebes. Also known as the Great Field. Now, the tomb of Tutankhamun, whose original name was Tutankhamun, 
became famous in part due to its dazzling golden artifacts and made King Tut one of the Egypt's most famous and thoroughly studied mummies. The tomb was discovered and opened by British archaeologist Howard Carter in 1922. In fact, he lived to tell about it and record the findings of his historical discoveries a mystery in and of itself, but um, we'll talk about that a little later. Two more chambers have recently been discovered in the tomb, one a storage area for coffins and burial supplies, and Another containing the mummy of a woman who appears to have been a singer at the Temple of Karnak. Radar scans of the ancient tomb suggesting there may be additional undiscovered chambers. Is Well, some say they've been disproven. Others say they haven't been disproven. So, well, history is still, the uh, jury's still out on that. Maybe the most curious about this story is that Tutankhamun ruled Egypt for only 10 years, from 1332 to 1322 B.C. This was during the 18th dynasty of the pharaohs and would have occurred during the time the Israelites sojourned in Egypt and constitute some of the years of their enslavement there. And he died at a young age of only about 19. A lot of speculation about the nature of his rule and how he died. And in fact, there is a major question if King Tut's tomb was even intended for him originally. Tomb appears to be much too small for a pharaoh. Some scholars suggest a pre-existing tomb may have been repurposed for his use when Tutankhamun died suddenly. And uh, archaeologists who studied the tomb thoroughly say 80% or more of the burial artifacts show signs of it been taken from uh, <coughs> earlier rulers, including Akhenaten, who uh, said to be the father of King Tut. He was the, Akhenaten was the heretic pharaoh who wanted to do well with the old gods and replace them with the sun god. Um, now, interestingly enough, King Tut died at a very young age after only a brief rule, and the elaborate tombs usually built for pharaohs normally took between 20 and 30 years to build. So they had to get a tomb very quickly. Probably went to Tombs or Us. Now, although the tomb contained a great deal of artifacts, only one of the four rooms discovered so far, that's the burial chamber, had its walls plastered and painted, and that room bears signs it was a rush burial, hastily painted and decorated. Paintings are covered with ancient molds, suggesting the paint was still wet when the tomb was sealed off, providing the environment for such mold to grow. The embalming process itself was also botched. Some point after Tut was mummified, the oils used in the process reacted with his linen shrouds, created a Spontaneous combustion causing parts of the mummified body to have been burned at temperatures close to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, other royal tombs during this time period uh, were not only larger and more elaborate, but also had uh, far more decoration. Paintings and Tut's tomb seem to describe the first stages of his spiritual transition to the afterlife, although some claim the paintings in the tomb depict King Tut himself of preparing Queen Nefertiti, who is believed to rule before Tut for her transition to the afterlife. Nefertiti was the, the wife of Akhenaten. And then comes the question of how King Tut died. DNA analysis performed by scientists on Tut's mummy show the young man suffered from malaria, and CT scans indicate he may have had a rare bone disorder known as Kohler disease, which caused the deformation of his uh, left foot. Now, Pharaoh's tombs generally contain possessions they own during their lifetime, which presumably will be needed in the afterlife. And the fact that Tut's tomb contained 130 walking sticks, 
Some showing actual signs of use will be consistent with this DNA analysis. Of course, neither one of these diseases would have uh, been fatal. Some Egyptologists believe that uh, Tut probably died from a severe leg fracture. His knee was broken so badly it pierced the skin and may have caused massive bleeding. Supporters of this theory note that the side of King Tut's elaborately decorated coffin depict him riding on a chariot, engaging in battle. And he also suffered from this deformed foot, making it plausible he could have fallen from the chariot and broken his leg, ultimately succumbing to blood poisoning due to an infection. And although a fatal lead fracture may be sustained in battle while falling from a chariot might explain how he died at 19, can't be stated with certainty that the fracture occurred while Tut was alive. Maybe his knee was broken after he died. Other forensic investigators who conducted a virtual autopsy state that their findings revealed a pattern of injuries down one side of the body. They believe a chariot smashed into Tut while he was on his knees, shattering his ribs, his pelvis, and crushing his heart. Well, he's the only pharaoh so far discovered to have been entombed missing his heart, most likely because it was damaged beyond repair in his fatal accident. However, it can't be known for sure if these injuries were sustained while he was alive or due to the post-mortem removal of the mummy from its tomb for examination. Well, understanding the cause of his death might help explain the nature of his brief rule while he was alive. Was he a sickly king manipulated, controlled by elders in his court, or was it a dynamic young king who led his troops in battle? That question is still to be answered. One, of the, one curious artifact that was discovered in his tomb was a dagger made mostly of iron with a small amount of nickel and a fraction of a percent of cobalt. But King Tut lived during the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age didn't begin until at least 100 years later, and maybe as much as 700 years later. So the metal would have been almost unknown in Tut's lifetime. So how could Tut have owned a dagger like this? Scientists have determined the chemical makeup of the dagger is almost identical to that of 75 known meteorites. So it's speculated a meteorite was discovered to have fallen somewhere in Tut's proximity during his reign, and viewed as an offering from the gods, would have been set aside for something uh, befitting the pharaoh. So it was made into a unique dagger worthy of a king. Well, among the treasures unearthed inside Tut's tomb was a breastplate worn by the pharaoh, elaborately decorated gold and silver and various precious jewels, but the centerpiece of an unusual object on the breastplate is a yellowish-green beetle that seemed to be made of an unusual gemstone which had been incorporated into the design. It's originally uh, identified as uh, Chalcedona, a common variety of the mineral quartz, but in 1932, the British geographer Patrick Clayton, while exploring the Great Sand Sea Desert along the border of modern Egypt and Libya, discovered uh, some strange pieces of glass in the sand, and they appeared to be made of material identical to the gemstone found in Tut's tomb. Well, in 1998, an Italian mineralogist determined it was a piece of Libyan desert silica glass, and that glass is only found in this desolate, remote region of the earth and contains traces of iridium, one of the rarest minerals on the planet. However, the origins of this desert glass remain a mystery. A glass sometimes forms when molten rock cools very uh, rapidly. There's no known current or extinct volcanoes in this desert region. But there's an additional rare trace mineral that had been discovered in this glass that adds to the mystery. Riodite, 
only forms under extremely high pressure, the kind experienced during massive meteorite impacts. But there's no known impact crater in this area that could have produced such unusual glass. It's also unclear how the desert glass became part of Tut's treasures. Was it a chance discovery by a trader traveling along an ancient caravan route in the Libyan desert who gave the pharaoh an exotic gift? Well, we don't know, but it remains the only known example of an Egyptian artist using this unique and mysterious material. And then we come to the fabled mummy's curse. The legend that there exists, the curse of the pharaohs. Anybody who should disturb a mummy or a pharaoh's tomb will be cursed. And some suggest the unusual fate that befell those who opened King Tut's tomb confirmed the possibility such a curse exists. While the leader of the expedition, famed British Egyptologist Howard Carter, seems to have escaped any evil or misfortune, lived 17 years after the discovery of the tomb until 1939 when he died of cancer, his canary was not so lucky. On the day the tomb was opened, his canary was eaten by a cobra. The cobra is symbolic to the Egyptian monarchy and is believed that this royal cobra entered into uh, Carter's home as the symbol of how a king strikes his enemies. This was the first incident that fueled speculation the curse had been released. So why was Carter spared? Maybe as the leader of the expedition, it was important that somebody qualified recorded for posterity would have been discovered. The second individual who played a part in this mystery is Lord Carnivan, the sponsor of the King Cut Dig. His cause of death was blood poisoning. He was bitten by a mosquito, then accidentally cut the bite while shaving, then became infected and he died of blood poisoning. This happened only five months after the tomb was opened. Some believe the mosquito bite was the same in the same location as a lesion on King Tut's cheek. But since Lord Carnivan was buried without an autopsy, nobody could confirm this. Arthur Conan Doyle, author of the Sherlock Holmes Mysteries, a firm believer in the supernatural, stated there are many malevolent spirits and thought it possible one killed Carnivan. And it's known, at least by biblical scholars, ancient Egypt was steeped in the occult magical arts. On this note, we've run out of time. We'll finish up talking about the mummy's curse tomorrow. Until then, Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.